This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello everyone and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, February 9th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson, I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film staff writer, Ryan Scott. Hey everyone, how's it going? All right, Ryan. Yesterday, there was a big Disney investor call. Bob Iger is back as the CEO of the Walt Disney Company for the first time. Uh, well, I guess for the first time since he's been back, he participated in one of these calls and sort of laid out his plan for what Disney's future is going to look like. So uh, you wrote about this. We we actually have a few articles up on the site about this that I'll link to in the show notes. But um, why don't you just sort of recap the the broad strokes of what we can expect from Disney going forward? Yeah, so just for those who, just very quickly for those who may not know, um, Bob Iger was the longtime CEO of Disney who retired in 2020, uh, famously a great time for the entertainment industry. Uh, he retired in February of 2020 and Bob Chapek <laughs> took over. Um, as we all know, you know, things went south from there. Uh, things were not going particularly well under Chapek, even if we take the pandemic into account. Uh, so Bob Iger returned as CEO in November. Uh, and a very unexpected move. So what was reported on yesterday was it was this quarterly earnings call that uh, was reporting the final quarter of 2022's earnings. So Bob Iger wasn't around for a ton of that quarter, but, you know, he, so, but, but so essentially th th this call was so important because this was Wall Street looking on and saying, and the investors for that matter, looking on and saying, okay, the, the company was not in good shape. The last report was terrible. What are you going to do for us, Iger? And um, largely, Wall Street responded very kindly. Uh, even though Disney Plus lost 2.4 million subscribers um, for the first time since its launch. And again, there, there's complicated stuff there because Disney upped its price a little bit. They lost cricket overseas, which was a big thing for their Hotstar subscribers. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, you know, the, 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 you know, they're able to get more revenue from raising the prices. And so that 2.4 million loss is not as bad as it may seem. Well, actually, let me let me just jump in real quick, because that's that's really important to note, because last year, Netflix, uh, after what, a decade of slow growth or, or even fast growth in, in certain spurts, uh, began to lose subscribers for the first time. And that triggered this sort of ripple effect that like went through the entire industry where and I mean, we've been talking about this a lot over the past year, but um, everything seemed to change. Like everybody was giving tons and tons of money to streamers and uh, everybody was going all in on streaming. 
And as soon as Netflix's subscriber numbers started to go in the opposite direction that, that Wall Street hoped they would go, everybody sort of pumped the brakes and, and said, wait a second, what's going on here? Netflix lost a ton of value. Yep. And uh, those ripple effects, uh, we're still feeling the effects of them right now. So one might assume that if Disney Plus experienced the same thing now, losing subscribers for the first time since the, the streamer launched in, I think it was November of 2019, um, that uh, Disney might be following in those same footsteps, basically, and just saying like, okay, actually, we're going to pivot away from streaming and you know go back to pure theatrical or whatever. But that's not what happened. And that's kind of interesting to me. So what did Bob Iger say about that? No, so that's not the case at all. And again, I think the thing is, you know, this is all in response to the fact that Wall Street and the industry at large is no longer going streaming at all costs, right? That was the that was the mentality for a bit was like streaming at all costs and literally meaning like all costs. Um, Bob Iger is not that guy. Uh, so the, the thing we need to look at is that the future is streaming. Um, like it, Disney is still very much in linear and traditional TV, but that revenue is down 5% from a year ago, whereas the direct-to-consumer business, aka streaming, is up 13% from a year ago. Now, the problem is linear still is a big revenue driver, and you know streaming has not yet made up for those lost revenues, but the point is linear is going away, streaming is not. Mm -hmm. Iger knows that, so he's strongly investing in the future that the company will have as a, as, as a streaming, you know, uh, uh, concern. But you know, in the meantime, they got to be smart about how they do that. So you know, one of the things Iger said is, "There's a lot to accomplish, but let me be clear: this is my number one priority. We're focused on the success of our streaming business and the return it generates for our shareholders long in the future. The streaming business, which I believe is the future and has been growing, is not delivering the kind of profitability or bottom line results that the linear business delivered for us over all uh, over a few decades. And so we're in a very interesting transition period, but one I think is inevitably heading towards streaming." Uh, and then he talked a little bit about what he called the global arms race for subscribers, uh, which was at that point, like I was talking about where everyone was just spend, spend, spend to get subscribers. And, um, uh, you know, Disney lost $1.1 in uh, uh, streaming losses in the last quarter, but they're looking to get to profitability in 2024. Uh, but he said, um, in our zeal to go after subscribers, I think we might have gotten a bit too aggressive in terms of our promotion. We took our pricing up substantially on Disney Plus, and we only suffered a minimal loss of subs. That tells us something, and I think he's right. That, you know, the, the Disney might have entered the marketplace at a bit of a, a bit underpriced. And, mm -hmm. you know, so now they're sort of going to adjust to that. Um, but but that was a tactic, right? That was like, they, they very much knew that they could have charged way more and families would have bought into Disney Plus. Like that was them basically saying like, okay, we want to ensure that this becomes a global phenomenon as a streaming service, Disney Plus, as soon as we launch it, right? And then now they're saying, okay, we've established ourselves and it's time to raise those prices and sort of come up to like, I guess, what our competitors are doing in this industry. And I mean, there are other streaming services, HBO Max, for example, is like $15 a month or whatever it is, right? So right. Uh, Disney Plus is not even close to that yet, but it's it's still, it's sort of like now climbing up and people may have feelings about about that as, as I'm sure consumers always, you know, complain about costs going up or whatever. But I feel like this was the plan from the beginning for, for Disney to be like, okay, we're going to launch at a, a low price point and then come in and, and sort of raise things. I think the interesting thing to me is what about what you're saying is like Bob Iger's uh, mentality here is 
instead of, he's he's very much saying streaming is the future, but he's not throwing the baby out with the bathwater and saying we're going to um, you know just basically like uh, ignore the ways that that the company is currently making money right now in favor of prepping for our streaming future. He's he's basically saying like we're just going to ride the seesaw on this thing until it, you know, at a, at a reasonable, responsible speed until the other end tips and, and become, you know, we, we walk into that streaming future. Right. Right. And, and that's the smart thing to do. And like, so going into the other part, you know, Disney plus is the thing that people think about when they think of Disney, but their other streaming concerns are Hulu and ESPN plus. Uh, so one of the things that, you know, ESPN is primarily driven by like cable and still linear TV. So Bob Iger was asked about, you know, that specifically and like, you know, what are, are we going to move to ESPN being only streaming? And he said, you know, we're going to continue to look at that as a potential pivot for ESPN away from the linear business, but we're not going to do that precipitously. We're not going to do that until it makes economic sense, which is to say, yeah, you know what, ESPN is probably at some point going to have to go more to streaming or strictly to streaming, but right now it wouldn't make sense to do that. Well, you know, cable and satellite and linear TV still brings in so much money, but there Mm -hmm. will be a tipping point there. Yeah, and I I think I saw, I've been seeing speculation for probably a a year or maybe more at this point that like maybe Disney would spin off ESPN into its own thing and sell that to a different company or something like that. And I think I saw a quote from Iger this morning that said that like they're not interested in doing that at least not right now. So um, no, for for now it's still a good business for them, and it's a good business for them to be in because you got to keep in mind you know that brings them Monday Night Football and ESPN. There's a lot of things that come with that, and mm-hmm. you know yeah maybe down the road it will make sense, but for right now. But the other thing, and this is something that other people might not be as familiar with. So Hulu was like a three pronged venture when it first started, but then when Disney uh, acquired Fox, they owned two thirds of it. So Comcast who on the other third was kind of in an awkward situation because they were going to get overruled for anything that was going to happen with it. Mm -hmm. So Disney essentially took over Hulu with the agreement being that in 2024, they would either buy the rest of Hulu from Comcast for at least 27.5 billion or sell the service to someone else. And we're getting close to that point. So uh, in an interview with CNBC after the call, Iger addressed that saying everything is on the table right now. I'm not going to speculate as to whether or not we're a buyer or seller for it, but I obviously have suggested that I'm concerned about undifferentiated general entertainment, particularly in the competitive landscape that we are operating in. And we're going to look at it very objectively and expansively. That's a lot of business speak for saying, look, I'm not taking anything off the table, mm-hmm. you know, cause like a big thing that and we're going to get into this in a second is Disney has to look at savings, cost-cutting measures, and they have to. They just have to right now. But, you know, at following the Fox deal, they're like $48 billion in debt. That doesn't really leave them a lot of room for like a $28 billion acquisition. Right. So, you know, we'll have to see where they're at financially in the next year or so, but spinning off Hulu and then putting most things under the Disney Plus umbrella might make sense. I don't know, but, but, you know, Iger's keeping his options open, which is smart. Yeah. So let's talk before we talk about the savings and sort of like a more depressing angle. Let's talk, I don't know, maybe, maybe this is depressing to some folks as well, but let's talk about the franchise idea. Like in, in uh, the sort of subheading of your uh, article, you say franchise to the rescue. Um, What's the deal with uh, Iger's sort of approach to, I guess, resurrecting or continuing several key franchises in the Disney uh, stable? 
Yeah, so one of the big things, and, and it was, I should have addressed this in the beginning, but one of the things that Bob Iger did was he dismantled the structure that Chapek put in place. And so now Disney is divided into three separate little pillars. And the first one is Disney Entertainment, which houses most of the streaming and media operations. Then there's parks, experiences, and products, which is pretty self-explanatory. And then ESPN is its own thing. But the idea that, you know, Iger had there was uh, that our new structure is aimed at returning greater authority to our creative leaders and making them accountable for how their content performs financially. Uh, our former structure... Uh, so, so, so basically the idea is that you know, Disney is now in the, you know, very specifically looking at what are we doing with our content and how are we spending that money? Mm -hmm. um, it's not going to be a volume business anymore because this is the idea is not overspending to win the streaming wars. So essentially it's going to be quality over quantity. Well, what does that mean for Disney? That means banking on your franchises. So the big thing that Iger announced with no details, so we get nothing to tell you, but that sequels to Zootopia, Toy Story, and Frozen are all happening so that means toy story 5 frozen 3 and zootopia 2 these are all movies and franchises that have made a tremendous amount of money of course this is going to happen the only weird thing is that zootopia came out in 2016 and we're just now getting a sequel to a billion dollar movie but yeah yeah that is weird i mean there are i think there was a a series on zootopia plus on disney plus but it's like that's not necessarily like a, a full-blown continuation that's like no. very short episodes and, and that and could of... have existed with the, it always struck me very odd that that a zootopia sequel took so long to get going but mm -hmm. um so you know uh, toy story is like obviously i love the first movie it's it's a super beloved franchise i would argue that they escaped toy story 4 by the skin of their teeth by by making a good movie and and really like tempting the gods right tempting fate with coming back even for a fourth movie now they're saying they're coming back for toy story 5 the idea that they could make five in a row that are actually you know good to to really excellent like iconic movies is um seems unlikely but uh like you're saying i guess you know, this is them tapping into back into that franchise thing that they've done so well. And uh, the other movies make more sense to me. Frozen sequel, Zootopia sequel, of course. Yeah. Going back to Toy Story feels like a little bit more of a creative risk to me um, as it, opposed it to doing, you know, some sort of spinoff or something like that. Like I could see, you know, a Rex well, movie or whatever. Like that kind of thing. didn't work. Like, light, yes. you know, Lightyear did not work. And so I think... So here's what I here's my only argument in favor of Toy Story. And I talked about this a lot last year under JPEG, particularly Pixar suffered greatly. Pixar was one of the most reliable brands in all of cinema. And and you could that was one of the few places where you could make a really ambitious original movie and make a lot of money. You mm -hmm. know, the fact that the movie like Coco could make as much money as it did is insane. Same thing with like Inside Out. But with all of those originals going to Disney plus the brand suffered a lot. So yep. I think what you're probably going to have to do to build Pixar back up, which is really important is you're going to have to rely on those franchises, get Pixar back to a reliable cinematic brand. And then people might go, you know, then you might be able to take some swings with more original stuff, but I think you got to, yeah, you got to have your Toy Stories in there to get people back on board with that. So I that's interesting. I, I didn't think about that because Zootopia and Frozen are both Walt Disney Animation, um, but Toy Story, of course, is Pixar, and there yep. would be a nice sort of like um, full circle feeling to uh, 
a Toy Story 5, basically like saving Pixar after the first Toy Story launched Pixar, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, there's something um, satisfying about that arc and that narrative if that actually comes to pass. So I, I hope that happens. I hope this movie is uh, good and worthy of <laughs> of their, yeah. um, you know, consideration instead of just like being a, a pure, a purely sort of crass thing that they could um, think that they can, a, a, a pawn on the chessboard, basically. Right. So hopefully they have something uh, really interesting cooked up there. Can um, I can I say real quick, this is important because this gets to the, so uh, he didn't say much about what franchises, but a quote that he said is, we're going to be taking a really hard look at the cost of everything that we make, both across television and film, because things in a very competitive world have just simply gotten more expensive. And that's something that is already underway here. In addition, we're going to look at the volume of what we make. And with that in mind, we're going to be fairly aggressive at better curation when it comes to general entertainment. That really is him saying, look, we're going to do what Disney does. We're going to we're going to lean in the things that work for us. And, you know, we're we're not going to go for volume. We're going to go for quality and hitting it out of the park each time. Yeah. The the one thing that I can take a little bit of solace in is um, is that Iger has always seemed like the rep by reputation anyway, has always seemed more creative than somebody like Chapik, who was like, uh, yeah, more of a number cruncher kind of guy, like came from parks and, and DVDs and all, you know, more of a numbers guy. Right. So, um, the one thing that I was sort of heartened to hear in this call is that like, he didn't come out and say, what we're going to do is double down on like the live action remake thing and like make right double the amount of those, which like I hate almost all of those movies because they're just creatively bankrupt and there's like no point to doing them except to cash in on name recognition. So I appreciate the name recognition thing in these animated movies just because he didn't say we're going to double down on those live action animated remakes doesn't mean that they're not going to, doesn't mean that they're they're not going to do that eventually, right? Um, but the fact that he didn't come out the gate guns blazing saying like, this is part of my big plan to get Disney in a great place is to do these. I I took some tiny bit of solace from that. So, you know, we'll see what the future looks like there. I'm hoping that um, Iger the creative uh, actually like comes back to Disney full force and like gives people the opportunity to be creative and and do original things and new things and interesting things instead of just recycling stuff because they know that it's going to work um, financially. So, you know, we'll, we'll see, maybe I'm being like super naive there and, and like uh, Pollyanna ish and, and overly hopeful, but um, you know, we'll see how it goes. So, so let's talk about the, the savings portion. Cause he threw out a lot of numbers about like, all right, Disney needs to save a lot of money and he has some ideas of how to do that. Yeah, the one thing I will say just to put a button on your point is that Iger has, like, because one of the things he talked about was with the park stuff, right? Chapek made a lot of changes with Disney parks that were wildly unpopular. He immediately rolled a lot of that back and, like, was like, look, is there a way we could squeeze more money out of this right here, right now? Yes, but Disney is about accessibility for people, and so we should make that, you know, we have to look at the long-term viability here, not the yeah. short term. And so he, Iger likes to think long-term. So in making less stuff, giving more resources to those projects that do get done, you're you're leaning more into the creative sheer, by sheer nature of that. And I think that's what Iger's good at. But he's also a businessman. So as far as some of this cost-saving stuff goes, again, they're $48 billion in debt. That can't be ignored. Linear is losing money. That can't be ignored. Like the, the that money's starting to go away. So they got to get their finances in order flat out. So um you know, they're, they're looking to shave $5.5 billion in overall savings. A lot of that's going to come from 
redundancies getting, you know, sort of wiped out, things like that. But there's also $3 billion in non-sports content savings, meaning that like, you know, certain projects are probably going to get axed, certain things like this, you know, everyone got mad at Warner Brothers Discovery for doing this, but they just saw the writing on the wall a little bit before everyone else. And this is just what's happening in the era of streaming is no longer king in the way that it was. Um, so, you know, the other thing, and this is really brutal, is that they're cutting 7,000 jobs, and that's around 3% of their total workforce. That's mm-hmm. probably not going to come from the parks and stuff, so you're probably looking at, you know, maybe ESPN, some of these other streaming areas, and some redundancies that are going to get, you know, some jobs that are going to get axed as a result of Iger sort of reorganizing the company. It is absolutely brutal, but it is also probably necessary. And, 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 you know, when you have a company this big, again, let's look at that. 7,000 jobs is only 3% of their workforce. Disney employs a ton of people. So this really does suck. It's awful. But, you know, when you're running a business of this size and things are as bad as they were when Iger took over, drastic measures need to be taken. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just like want to take a second and and because I know we probably have a lot of people listening to this podcast who work in the industry and maybe some of these folks who actually work at Disney and are going to be the part of these, the 7,000 number that are going to be yeah. laid off sooner. And I just like, I, my heart goes out to them and I feel terrible. Because oh, a thousand percent. Um, like I, I feel, and I don't, and I, and I would be willing to bet Iger does not feel good about that. Like he's a, he's a guy, he came back to Disney because he really cares about the company. Yeah, like, yeah, and yeah. he's always struck me as a guy that cares, like, you know, a, like truly about it. And and he talks a lot about that, the, the people in the park and the cast members. So I imagine he, I, again, I don't know the guy, but I, but I don't get the sense that he's like heartless about it, yeah, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. and, and, you know, so, but yeah, it is brutal. It does suck. It's terrible. And I, and I really feel bad for those people. And, and you mentioned the, um, the sort of Zaslavification, if that's a word, but, uh, like the idea that, um you know, looking at what Warner Brothers Discovery has done and uh, over the past year and seeing Disney say, okay, we have to save money too. I don't think that, and this is just pure speculation on my part, because I don't know the guy either, but based on his history, based on his track record, based on his reputation and and sort of like his, um, he also has, has a reputation for being like friendly to creative people, like actually, you know, not necessarily in there like micromanaging and like, you know, giving people unnecessary notes and stuff like that. He, he, is like a relationship guy, right? So um, it does not strike me that he is going to, in order to save money, do the same type of things that Zaslav would do at Warner Bros. Discovery in order to save that money. Like, I don't imagine he's going to, uh, you know, he doesn't like being the bad guy. He doesn't like looking like the bad guy. So I don't imagine that he's going to swoop in and suddenly like start ripping shows off of Disney Plus or, um, you know, do some of the stuff that that Zaslav has done um, and and like selling things off to other things and like not communicating with creators first and just like making all these widespread decisions that have been widely seen as disastrous in in uh, from a PR perspective anyway over the past year. So I, I think, I mean, who am I to say like, you know, all of these shows are definitely safe. Nothing's going to happen to them. Of course, I can't say that, but it just seems like um, Iger is not necessarily that guy either uh, in, no. in, in terms of those types of decisions. So no. fingers crossed that nothing like that happens. No, and I, like we're not going to get Iger's not going to cancel a $90 million Batgirl movie. You know, like he's not going to do things like that. But are we maybe going to see some Disney stuff get licensed elsewhere for the sake of revenue? Yeah, possibly. Yeah. It, it, could it be that some stuff gets pulled off of Hulu or Disney Plus to go somewhere else? Yeah, maybe, but it will go somewhere else. And I bet you those plans will be outlined very cleanly. And I bet that will be communicated with the people 
that are there and there won't be surprises about, you know, so it'll mm -hmm. be handled differently for sure. Yeah. Okay, before we continue, uh, we have we have some uh, Spider-Man Noir stuff to talk about, uh, the future of Yellowstone. But before we get to that, let's take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. All right, so I mentioned Spider-Man Noir. There's a live-action Spider-Man Noir series in development at Prime Video right now. So Amazon is making a live-action Spider-Man Noir series. Spider-Man Noir, of course, if you've seen Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, that's the character that Nicolas Cage voiced, who is this sort of like uh, Humphrey Bogart-esque, you know, like 1930s, uh, almost like a PI detective type of black and white um, version of Spider-Man. And in this live-action show, it's going to be set in 1930s New York City, and the main character is going to be a, quote, older, more grizzled Spider-Man than what we've seen before in live action. So there's no casting news yet, but we know that uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who were two of the, I think, writers and producers on oh, one of them was a writer. The other one, uh, they both produced uh, Spider-Verse anyway. Um, and they've, they've been like key creative voices in the, the Spider-Verse uh, universe, I guess, with the, the upcoming sequels and things like that, too. Um, they are going to be involved here as producers. Uh, Amy Pascal, who used to run Sony and has been a, a producer on a lot of these uh, more recent Spider-Man movies, is also going to be producing this. But um, the guy who's actually going to be running this thing is Oren Uziel, who is, uh, I guess, people might know him from his... Uh, writing on 22 Jump Street. So he's worked with Lord Miller before. He also uh, was one of the writers on The Lost City. He wrote the story for the Mortal Kombat movie that came out in 2021. Also the Cloverfield Paradox. <sighs> yeah, I'd rather not mention that. I don't think anyone would rather mention that I don't either, but it's, worth, but it's worth taking into account. <laughs> yeah, I guess I suppose you're right. I suppose it is. Uh, but he also has like credits on uh, John Wick 4 coming up in the Borderlands movie. So, um, you know, he, he's been around for a while and uh, he's the one who is going to be serving as the sort of like creator showrunner uh, main creative voice behind this thing um what do you make of a, a live action spider-man noir uh over at amazon uh you know I, I seem to be in the minority here that a lot of people seemed pretty like irritated that this wasn't animation they felt it was a bad idea i on the other hand i'm like i completely see why you would do something like this and i think it sounds kind of cool um i think if lord and miller are involved i feel encouraged 
Um, I think uh, Oren's had his name attached to more good things than bad things. Um, I generally think Amazon does good work. Uh, you know, if if Sony must continue to expand, so again, it is worth repeating for people who may not understand, Sony controls all of the rights to all of the Spider-Man characters, and they are never letting that go. Mm-hmm. So that means they own the, the figures are a bit messy, but it's something around 900 Marvel characters. That yes. Control. So, so look, are you going to make a live action Peter Parker Spider-Man TV show? Probably not. Uh, so that way you can keep Tom Holland doing his thing. But would you like a live action comic book TV show? Yeah, probably. And, and is this an interesting way to do that where you can still get the Spider-Man name in there, but not necessarily have to stomp on anything you're doing? I think it makes sense. And someone, I think it might've been you even brought up like, you know, could have like a Sin City vibe to it, which is cool. And I think there's a lot of potential here. And I, and I like the idea. I didn't make that connection. Uh, that was me. That was somebody else. But I do like that, that idea um, for like the, the visual style of this thing. I love like Humphrey Bogart movies and detective fiction, things like that from that period. So like the idea of setting a superhero show directly in that sort of um, milieu is is actually appealing to me. Uh, it sounds like all the creative folks behind it are, you know, have their heads screwed on straight. Um, casting, I think, is going to be a huge thing here, uh, yeah. as, it, as it is for a lot of things, obviously. But like um, this, especially being with Nick Cage being so beloved in the original role, I don't see him coming back to reprise that role here unless it's like a Mandalorian situation where the character is wearing a Spider-Man mask the whole time and he can just do the voice and probably honestly like not be on the set that much and just have, you know, a body double doing most of the work. Um, that would be kind of cool to to have Nicolas Cage continue over that way. But in the event that they don't go with Nicolas Cage here, Ryan, do you have any, I'm springing this on you, but do you have any like, uh, go-to picks for like who you would like to see playing the Spider-Man noir role. I hadn't gotten that far with it, but you know, I'm just picturing like almost like Rorschach from Watchmen, but like a PG 13 version of that. Mm -hmm. And, and I think not to like bring this into it, but I do think it'd be interesting because if like you're picking up in the 1930s, like, you know, racism and racial tension would be at a very different, you know, height. So I think like the idea of if you had like, a Miles Morales like figure, like a black Spider-Man, but in the 1930s, that would take on like a whole new meaning and add like a layer to it. So that'd be kind of interesting. <laughs> I don't have an yeah. actor in mind, but you know, that might, because it's it specifically said it's not going to be Peter Parker. So like, right. you know, that could be kind of interesting, but, but um, yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't given enough thought about who, who could do it, but I, hmm. you know. I had not considered them going with a, a black actor or an actor of color in that role, but that, that yeah, you're right. That, that would be really interesting. If they go with a white person, I was thinking, uh, and even if, uh, though it's not going to be Peter Parker, I was wondering about like Joe Scordon Levitt because he, he actually showed up in the Sin City uh, sequel. So he's yeah. sort of like done that kind of stylistic thing before. And it seems like he, uh, well, I, I didn't even think about this until just now, but like obviously Brick uh, was very much in that sort of, Dashiell Hammett detective fiction type of um, uh, uh, history and lineage thing as well. So he's, he's got a couple connections there. Uh, and and I think it would be fun to see him dive back into, you know, a big bigger role uh, in something like this. So, you know, we'll see. If anybody has any suggestions, uh, write us, uh, send us an email or something. Peter at Slashfilm.com. Let us know who you would love to see uh, play Spider-Man Noir. So I, I will say I like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I really, that I like that 
that's that's good. I dig that. <laughs> uh, okay, so the last story that we wanted to mention here is about the future of Yellowstone. Uh, Ryan, do you watch Yellowstone? Have you seen any of this? I I do not. Uh, but uh, but uh, like people often joke because like Yellowstone is the most popular show on cable, and they're like, I don't know anyone that watches it. My mom started with like eighteen ninety nine, the spinoff, and then that like went her. She went deep. Like my mom is like a hardcore Yellowstone person now. So like. You yeah, know, there are there are those people out there and there are lots of them. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's 1883. I think 1899 was the canceled Netflix show. Recently. Oh, 1883. Uh, and then there's those... 1923. Is what yes, it yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, I've not seen any of Yellowstone either. My parents also are big Yellowstone fans. I'm not sure if they've watched any of the spinoff stuff. I need to ask them about that next time I see them. Um, but uh, yeah, so anyway, Yellowstone, as you mentioned, huge, huge show, massively popular, even though <laughs> we don't watch it. And uh, I feel like, you know, it, there's been a lot of stuff written about how this is like a, you know, the coastal elites don't watch Yellowstone's more like a middle America type of show, like down and dirty, whatever. Uh, we don't have to get into like the politics of the show or anything like that. But um, yeah, the, the show might actually be coming to an end very, very soon. So uh, Kevin Costner is the, the star of the sort of flagship Yellowstone show. He has uh, larger ambitions than being on television for the rest of his life. He is actually trying to return to direct a new movie called Horizon, that is this epic Western that he has been working on for a while. And uh, there's evidently been a lot of negotiations back and forth behind the scenes on Yellowstone about whether or not he can basically work much, much less in order to devote more time to, I think, directing and starring in this new movie that he's working on. Also, folks, I, if I'm not mistaken, it's not just one movie. Isn't that going to be like a multi-part? Yes, I, I don't remember exactly how many parts it is, but it's something totally nuts like the the shooting of it was supposed to span something like o over 200 days and like that's a lot um it's gonna be really expensive like like horizon is supposed to be like a huge thing yeah I, I can't find it right now at the at the tips of my fingertips but um but yes i remember it originally being announced as like this sprawling like multi-movie kind of saga type of thing so very very ambitious project i don't have the exact details of that in front of me um but i'll try to put a link in the show notes once i find it but um yeah, so like there's all these negotiations going on behind the scenes and it seems like nobody is coming to an agreement about this so Basically, it sounds like Paramount Network is saying, "Okay, if if you're you're not going to work with us on this thing, we're actually just going to end Yellowstone and spin it off into a new show that stars Matthew McConaughey instead, and continue it on that way." So Taylor Sheridan and that whole universe uh, are not going to be sort of beholden to the whims of Kevin Costner, the the star. They're just going to sort of write him off or or like end the series that he's on, which I believe is in the middle of its fifth season right now yeah so they have like um, the back half of season five still to come out and yes. essentially if this goes the way that it it might go then that'll just be it for your main yellowstone show yeah part of me was wondering ryan like i don't know if you're if you remember if you were following you know movie news back in, in that period but there was a time uh between the first and second spider-man movies where um Tobey Maguire was trying to negotiate with Sony. I believe I have the details right here. And uh, Sony basically announced that Jake Gyllenhaal was going to take over as Peter Parker. And it was like all a ploy, like all a, a, a bargaining tactic or whatever to sort of like, um, I guess, underpay Tobey Maguire for what he wanted. But it like it was playing out in a very public fashion, right? Right. And this kind of stuff happens sometimes um, where people are playing chicken, basically, and just saying like, you're not going to, 
do anything. They're like, oh yeah, watch me. So they'll, they'll like, you know, leak something to the press or like make an announcement or whatever. And then they'll renegotiate contracts and things will be fine. It doesn't happen as much now, I feel, as it used to. Um, but part of me was wondering, like, you're just going to dangle Matthew McConaughey out there and like uh, expect that to work. But maybe Kevin Costner really is, you know, old enough at this point where, and rich enough at this point to be like, yeah, I don't care. Like, I really am done with this. I want to make my movies. I want to do my own thing. See, that's um, that's away, more so. what I'm inclined to believe because yeah. uh, like, Kevin Costner's 68 years old. Like, le- okay, so I said this when this news came up. Okay, so Kevin Costner signs up for Yellowstone. Not no idea it was going to be as big as it was. Ten ep- ten episode series, whatever. Most shows don't go past two seasons these days. I think if you had told Kevin Costner when this show started. Okay, it's going to go for six seasons. He would have said, write me off after season three or I'm not doing it. Like, you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like, I so yeah. I imagine, like, because he's even had quotes about how he doesn't like how much time it takes, blah, blah, blah. Like, mm-hmm. I, so it does not surprise me. And I just think, and I, I did find the thing. So speaking to Variety last year, he wants to split Horizon into four different movies. Four, and about, wow, okay. And about every three months, they'll all come out, is what he's saying. And like, so yeah. he has this, so this is a huge undertaking that he has in mind. Uh, so he's got other stuff going on. Uh, that's all <laughs> I'm saying. And I, and I don't, I lean more towards, no, he really might be trying to pull the plug here and they just need another way to go about it. Yeah, no, I think that's probably what's going to happen. It just, the idea, it just seems so, um, you know, because there's so much drama in the reporting here, I think Deadline and Variety both had articles about it. um, And there's so much like sort of gnashing of teeth of like, but this is what's happening behind the scenes and all this stuff. It just sort of reminded me of those old days where that kind of thing used to happen a lot. Um, I I don't think that's really happening in this case. I really do think he's probably going to walk and and they're just going to like spin it off and and move on. And the Yellowstone franchise as it is, the the larger umbrella is just going to continue chugging along until taylor sheridan keels over and dies because well, but I also, too much of a workload but yeah but i also don't necessarily think this is the worst thing in the world because like 18 whatever damn year 1800 uh that did really well 1923 is getting a second season like they've shown the ability to be able to expand this universe very successfully so like yeah, and I've actually heard that that Yellowstone itself, the main show, from from some people who watch it, are saying that it's sort of like on the downturn. Like you know, maybe its best days are behind it. So right, this kind of makes sense. But anything more than five seasons, that tends to happen. Like it's very right. rare that a show. So I think that like okay, fine, let this one end on its own terms. Don't have to try to write around a star who doesn't want to be there. Get mm-hmm. you a get you an Oscar winner like Matthew McConaughey who's going to come back to TV for the first time since True Detective for a Taylor Sheridan show. And then let Taylor Sheridan do it on his own terms, which he's been doing very, very, very well up to this point. Yeah. You know, just continue to back the money truck up to his house until Paramount Plus either gets sold to someone else or become successful simply because Taylor Sheridan is alive. <laughs> That's true. And I saw somebody, I, forgive me, I don't have the, the tweet in front of me, so I'm not sure who said this, but um, some industry analyst was, I think, speculating that like if this happens, they can do this interesting workaround where like one of the reasons... Um, the one of the sort of interesting aspects of this whole uh, Yellowstone success story is that uh, the I think Paramount Network pre-sold a lot of the streaming rights or something to Peacock, right? Yep. Like a, a lot of times, if you want to watch Yellowstone, the way to do that is to go to Peacock, and and Paramount obviously has Paramount Plus, mm-hmm. its own streaming service now, which I don't think it had at least in that form when uh, Peacock originally launched. It did so. Things well, were, you know, yeah. shifting behind the scenes and all that and like decisions were made and they're sort of like biting them, you know, uh, 
kicking themselves or whatever because they sold off the the streaming rights to their most popular show um, before they really like got behind Paramount Plus as their own thing. So the idea that Yellowstone with Kevin Costner could end and this new spinoff thing might work uh, as long as I guess they don't continue just to call it purely Yellowstone and like actively continue that storyline um, under the auspices of the original show, they could spin it off, call it, you know, Yellowstone <laughs> McConaughey edition. I don't know what, that's a terrible title, but uh, something. And then that show, I guess, could could uh, be directly on Paramount Plus, right? Like, so that that seems like a, a big win for them on a um, on a business side as well as like a potentially creative side. Like, yeah, because that the Peacock show. deal when they even when they made that deal, Yellowstone was one of those slower burn shows where it was like I think believe it in second or third season it became huge, huge, huge. So they had no expectation, and so yeah, I mean, you're looking at like what that's done for Peacock versus like your flagship, not not just Paramount's biggest show, the biggest show on cable. Mm-hmm. is not on your streaming service. I mean, they've got to be kicking themselves for that. So I got to imagine that, because I, I love that you brought that up because there is no way that math isn't coming into account for them. We're fine. Yeah. We just, we take most of the cast from Yellowstone, spin this right off with McConaughey and call it something else. And now most of the Yellowstone universe is here. Yeah. And, and you know, like from the, I guess the the example I'm thinking of recently is um, Bosch ended on, uh, Amazon Prime on on Prime Video, and they spun that off into like Bosch Legacy or some other uh, show for maybe it was her freebie, like the the free yeah. version of of um, what used to be called like IMDb TV or something. Um, so, but I think a lot of the speculation around that time that they made that decision was like, yeah, they ended the show because now it's a new show, and like you don't have to. Um, like like the the stars of the show don't have to command as big of a payday as you would in the third or fourth season of a super successful show, yeah. right? So like streaming, you know, spinning this off into a new thing, the people who might suffer from this are, I don't know, crew, some, maybe some crew members or something like that, but also like the actors who, uh, in the main Yellowstone storyline, who get... Um, who get like roped into, I guess, excuse the phrase, uh, into appearing for in this, this new version with McConaughey and they don't have the negotiating power that they would have if Yellowstone, the main series would have just continued. So, um, another interesting thing to think about, but you know, I, I don't know like what the contractual details of all that are, but you know, just something to think about. So. But Bosch, another show, it's so weird you mentioned that. Cause like Bosch is another one of those shows that like it ran for like seven seasons or whatever it was. I don't know a single person that ever watched Bosch. Not only is Peter there- Peter Serretta watched Bosch. He, he tried to convince me to watch it. I promised him that I would watch it and I feel bad because I've not gotten around to it yet. But I, I swear to you, Peter, if you're listening, I will watch at least one episode of Bosch in my lifetime yeah, before I keel yeah, over. Seven seasons, but then they also, Bosch Legacy, but they also just announced two more spinoffs recently, I think. And wow. so like, you know, you got to talk good for Titus Welliver, a guy who like you would never <laughs> utter that name. But if you were to say I've got Titus Welliver money, that would be way more impressive than you might think. Uh, <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> OK, well, uh, yeah. Uh, may we all have Titus Welliver money at, at some point in our lives. So I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of the show. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com. I will link to a bunch of them in the show notes. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter. There's a link in the show notes for 
that as well. It's really great. Chris Evangelista writes it. Super entertaining. Really great way to get sort of a quick fix of all the best Slash Film stuff that's being published every day. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and Spider-Man noir casting suggestions to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends. Spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Having a versatile, high-quality piece of clothing feels great. But having a whole closet full of favorites feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com. Code S-T-A-P-L-E-2-0.